All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. Small details are big surfaces, tight corners are odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rustolium. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Welcome to the DFO Rundown Podcast with Frank Saravalli and Jason Greger on dailyfaceoff.com. Delivered by DoorDash. Welcome to episode 173 of the DFO Rundown. I'm Jason Greger alongside uh, Frank Saravalli. As uh, congratulations to the uh, Toronto Argonauts for uh, winning the Grey Cup last night. Uh, they are 7-0 and in Grey Cup since losing in 1987. Hmm. Kind of the opposite of a 67 for the uh, Toronto Maple Leafs. Frank, how you doing? What? I, I did not watch a second of the Grey Cup. It is actually on in the U.S. on ESPN2. Dude, it's unreal game. Yeah, don't care. The CFL is not real. I'm sorry. Oh, jeez. Just isn't. Nah. No, it was no, and, and I love the I love the middle of the country where it's a huge deal in Saskatchewan and and Winnipeg and I don't know. I'm just not. I don't. I don't feel it. I just when there's an eight team league saying you won the league, like and it just doesn't. It's like being an original six Stanley Cup champ. It's nine sorry. teams, Frank. Nine. Nine. Okay. Nine. Well, come on. Sorry, I forgot about the Red Blacks. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, they're not the Rough Riders anymore. So if you can name all nine Canadian teams, I was once told that is the uh, that is the that's the test for citizenship. Is if you can name all the CFL teams. <laughs> and I can do it actually. Hey, well, it's good. If you're looking for an entertaining game, though, it was unbelievable. The last uh, special teams in the in the final two minutes of the game were phenomenal. So. Um, Don't let Dustin Neil, Nielsen hear this clip either with me telling him that the CFL is not real. He seems to defend that a lot. Yeah. Well, it is pretty good. But um, some do you would go say, to CFL games? Do I? Yes. 
Oh yeah. Yeah. My son, lo- my son loves going outdoor football games. He loves it. So, um, he, uh, you know, he, he actually is, uh, he want he's thinking now that he's getting older, he wants to play tackle football. So will you let him? Um, yeah, probably. I, I, I want him to play rugby first. So he seems to learn They, they know how to tackle better in rugby. I think once he plays rugby first, then he can play uh, football, but I won't let him play football until he's 11 or 12. So I asked reason being about the concussions. And the interesting thing is you'd say, I'd want him to play rugby first where they don't wear a helmet. Yeah. And there's not, there's, where not there's a mass- seemingly more concussions than in tackle football. Not really. They're, they're, if, if you look at it, there's not a lot of data that says that for rugby and yeah, rugby, just rugby. They, they teach you not to lead with your head. So it's, um, I played tackle football growing up and I absolutely loved it. And I wish I played more of it. Yeah. Um, I, I really had a blast playing. It was some of the most fun I ever had. Oh, Hey, you can, obviously you want to protect your kids, but at the same time you can, you can get a concussion playing non-contact hockey. There's actually a surprisingly high amount of numbers of concussions uh, from girls ringette and and girls hockey. Neither one of them are contact, right? Even even young kids in hockey, there's lots of concussions, and it's mostly whiplash when they fall and smack their head on the ice. Yeah, I, I, look, you can't put your kids in bubble wrap, and I truly believe like you need to. You got to have fun. Like if if it's what you want to do, like you got to let them go because they're if you hold them back with certain things, they're just going to go find a way to do it anyway. Yeah, maybe so, not no, football, but maybe it's something else later. Yeah, like he talks about it, but he's never actually asked to register. And so, um, when he does, we'll see. But um, I think we'll get him. We try a lot of different sports. He's playing indoor soccer this year, along with hockey and uh, swimming. So uh, I just like to keep him busy, oh, whatever he wants to do. Oh yeah, I know. But he swims like a fish. So, it's, uh, dude, I, I just I'm sorry. I I I know how great of an athletic accomplishment it is to be a good swimmer. Like. It is hard work, and you are seriously fit to be a swimmer. I just never want to be a swim parent. I do not want to be in a sweaty, hot, smelly natatorium for hours on end on a Saturday. Yeah, like I don't know if he's going to be a competitive swimmer. We just want him to get to – well, we have a little goal with him that if he gets to his level 10 by the end of December, then he can get four months off. Because he kind of goes, you know, he goes once a week at this very special true blue swimming place by our house. And he actually quite likes it. It's it's got him a lot better at swimming. And um, I did. I just want him to swim so, you know, when he's 18 or 19, his buddies go on one of those houseboats or something stupid that, um, you know, he's got a better chance to survive. That's basically how I look at it. Yeah, it makes sense. We did our, we did swim lessons really early oh, for yeah. our kids, and they're great swimmers. Um, I would rather suck on my car muffler than be a swim parent. <laughs> uh, well, I'm happy he's not in dance. My brother's uh, daughter was in dance. My buddy's yeah, daughters are in dance. Do and the too. dance recitals are like six hours of pain. So. It's bad. My daughter's in four dance classes, which means she'll have four acts in the same recital, which means I can't leave early. And it's no. always on a Sunday, always during football season. Yeah. Which means I sit there and watch my phone. And it's expensive. Dance, no joke. People always talk about expensive hockey, man. Dance (laughs) is expensive. I just got the bill on Saturday for our dance recital uh, outfits. (laughs) The outfits were like 150 a piece, and she's six years old. Well, I look forward to the video of the uh, the daughter dance that Frank does, the daddy daughter dance. Get in there, Frank. Get a tutu on. Let's see it. You know, they don't make one big enough. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> hey, they you make have a size all... 42. 
They make all sizes nowadays, all sizes. Um, Hey, speaking of, do you think it's too early for Maple Leaf fans to be concerned about Austin Matthews? Like he, you know, like for us, considering like the standard that he set, the guy scored 60 goals, 61 goals last year. You know, he's been a guy who's on pace for 50 most other years, barring injuries. And for him, what has he got? Like he's on pace for what, 34, 33 goals right now? Yeah. Okay. So to answer your question, am I alarmed or should I be concerned? The answer is no, based on the history of last season. And I went and looked it up through 20 games last year. He had 10 goals, which put him on pace for exactly 40. The difference between this year and last year is that he's coming off of a wrist injury and we kind of figured he might start slow. And he did this year. If he doesn't score on Monday night, he'll have eight through 20 games, which is 24% of the season, which puts him on pace for exactly 34. And for me, the big difference watching him this year is that he really doesn't have the same threat level, if that makes any sense. Last year, every time the puck was on his stick, it was off it in a millisecond, and there was this air of confidence about him that was almost... Like, it was so good that it was almost obnoxious, even though that's not his style. Like, he's – you walked into the to the rink knowing that Austin Matthews was going to score. Every person in the building, every person watching at home, every person on the other team all knew that he was going to score that game. That's how good he was last year, and that's how easy it was for him last year. Can he go on a tear and get to 50 goals? Obviously, scoring 50 in 53 games last year to close out the season, yes, he can. Just his his numbers are off a, a hair. He's down about a half a shot per game, um, which over the course of the season, obviously, is 40 fewer shots. Um, he just doesn't look quite the same. And so I'm not like at a full-fledged panic yet in terms of you know, the Maple Leafs and their, their setup and, and Austin Matthews and his goal scoring prowess, but he needs to get it in gear. Yeah. Well, the thing is um, they're, they're not really missing it yet because Tavares and Nylander and Marner are all, producing. Oh, they're missing you know, it. You know, they're, they're in second place in their division. Like it hasn't, all I'm saying is like, it hasn't put them in a bad spot. So when he does heat up, Leaf fans would be like, Oh, now we're really going to go on a roll. Right. Like they, they've gotten, they got a winning record without their best goal scorer doing what he does best. So to me, that that should actually be considered a good sign if I was the Maple Leafs. But you know those players, like Austin Matthews, all the best players in the league, they want to produce. That's their MO. That's how they're driven. That's how they're wired. And I just, I, I agree with your assessment, Frank. When I watched the Leaf games, like last year, you were just like, I wonder which period he's going to score in. Like you literally went into games knowing he would score a goal. And and now he just he he doesn't seem to be like a threat every time like where he touches the puck you're thinking oh is this going to be the shift because last year that's how good it was so maybe maybe it's unrealistic to to have that expectation but um, so far it the results just aren't there for for where he was last year now maybe it's because the end of the you know the 50 game stretch was so dominant that you know that obviously changed things I I would disagree with you in the sense that I think the Leafs really miss it. I think, yeah, because I put out that story last week after Jake Muzzin went down and they announced that he was, you know, going to be on LTIR for a long time. I put a story out 
highlighting six potential fits for the Leafs to replace Mazen on the back end. And the constant refrain that I kept getting from Leaf fans was, we don't need a defenseman. Check out this team's you know, expected goals for, check out their underlying numbers, check out their statistics. They need more scoring. They need more secondary scoring. And it's really interesting because I, I thought about this a lot over the weekend. And I think... The reason, like, the reason why they, like, one of the bigger frames from Lee fans was look at how defensively conscious the bottom six is. Look at how defensively conscious the entire forward group is. They have some of the best back pressure in the league. And I thought about it and I was like, the reason why they have so strong back pressure and there's such an attention to detail on defense is because subconsciously that means that all the forwards know that this defense core isn't good enough. Uh, maybe. Like, what are they, eighth best in the NHL in goals against per game this year, right? I think it's 268, 269, whatever that, it is. That, but that's that's why people are saying they don't need another defenseman. They're saying, yeah. Frank, you're getting it wrong. And my answer is, first off, for a team that has a forward core as highly paid as this one is, to me, they, they need more scoring help. Like they need a hole in their head. Like they just, they just don't need it. No. Um, and, and then the other part is, is like, look at this defense core on paper. So if you're going into the playoffs game one with Morgan Riley, TJ Brody, Rasmus Sandin, Justin Hall, Jordy Ben, and I don't know, pick another defenseman. Like, does that look like, Timothy Liljegren, does that look like a, a contending top six on your blue oh, yeah, line? No, I, I don't think there's much debate that, that Toronto needs a better goal. When I say... They, they, they're all telling me I'm a moron. Yeah, well, I wouldn't... Uh, to, to me, I look at it this way. Look at the Leafs' last 10 games. They got a, a 75 or 750 points percentage, right? They're 6-1-3. and three. Now, obviously, if Austin Matthews scores a few goals, you know, maybe they're 8-1-1. Maybe they're one one. But my point was... They haven't missed him because they're still getting solid results at the end. And so eventually I believe he's going to score and that's going to fulfill the offensive void that the, that the fans are talking about. It's not Matthews is not going to score. Well, I shouldn't say that. I would be stunned if he only scores 33 goals this year, right? Like I'd be stunned if that's where he sits at. So when I say they were able to get by with it, is it during the, this stretch where he's not scoring at the rate you expect, they're still winning significantly. And so usually, you know what, even, well, we assume he's going to start scoring. And if he starts scoring and the team plays good defense, well, then they're just going to win more. Yeah, you know who else they got results in spite of last year? Jack Campbell for a long, long stretch. Almost yeah, that was yeah, from January on, January till end of February, right? And they, they, they literally, he had like an eight, 80 save percentage. And I think they, they were like, he won, he lost like two games in that stretch. Yeah. December, January, February. It was crazy. And and now they're doing it sort of in spite of really marginal production from Austin Matthews compared to his normal run. And I agree. I think that part of that is just going to take care of itself. But I, to me, there's no question what this team needs. And I, I just don't know why there's been such pushback. Yeah, no. People maybe maybe the right answer is that you go out and you spend big on a on a Klingberg, uh, whoever the the piece is that you want, and you make sure that the Ducks or whoever team you're trading with eats half, and then that's 
you know, three and a half million for Muzzin, or, or excuse me, for Klingberg. You could make it even less if you send it through another team. And then you still have enough money to go and get a forward if you want. Maybe you, maybe you fulfill both. Oh, yeah. I, I think most sane people would look at Toronto's roster and say adding a defenseman is their first one. Any of the, the vocal minority on, on Twitter, I would probably just politely pat on the head and say, that's uh, that's an error thinking that the uh, forwards is the uh, is the main issue uh, in Toronto. Um, the uh, the Pittsburgh Penguins, Frank, uh, Jenny Malkin played his thousands game last night. He he after a thousand games played, he has the 17 most points in NHL history amongst players in their first 1,000 games. 17th most. Crosby's the only active guy with more. Now McDavid is on pace, obviously, potentially have the third most through a thousand games. And uh, Leon Dreisaitl also on pace. He could uh, he could potentially pass Malkin as well. But, you know, the point is if Jenny Malkin's been unreal. Now he's missed, you know, lots of games, unfortunately, due to injury. But a pretty, pretty special event last night for the, uh, for the Penguins with Malkin. You know, they basically mirrored what they did to Crosby in his 1,000th game where they all the players were were mimicking exactly what Malkin does in the warm up. It was actually quite funny when they're when you see NHL guys, they're all laying on their back and they're doing the windshield wipers. Man, I thought that was pretty funny. But th- then they had Malkin's young son Nikita come in and, and read the uh, you know the starting lineup sheet, and you could see a little boy's pretty emotional for his dad. And that was a surprise if Jenny didn't know it was coming. I thought that was a a pretty yeah. Cool they thing. flew him to Chicago, and he had no idea he was there. Yeah, every every dad will tell you like they, you know, you always like to see your kids do stuff. So to get in the room and and read the lineup there, I thought that was pretty sweet. Really well done by the Pens, and it's just interesting that it was on a night in Chicago where Marion Hosa was was celebrated as his number was retired, and you know that was he stole the show. He did, and I thought Rob Rossi did a great job in the Athletic, um, just writing about how Malkin has sort of always in his entire career played second fiddle to everyone. He's played second to Sidney Crosby in Pittsburgh, you know, second among, you know, Russian players to Alex Ovechkin. Uh, even on a night when he plays his 1000th game, he's second to Marion Hosa. And he's had an incredible career. You brought it up in Friday's pod about how criminal it was that he wasn't in the top 100 of all time. I think it's probably safe to say he's in the top 50 now um, in terms of, you know, careers. It's just a shame how much time he's missed. I, I just did the quick math. He's, he's missed over 275 games. Yeah. Like that's, that's, that's a whole career for a lot of guys. That's a oh. lot of time. And, um, you know, congratulations to him for, battling through all that, but he's still such a talented guy and a big guy. He's a horse of a man. And I, I, you know, I I hope for his sake, for the penguins, for, you know, that core that they figure it out this year and and keep that playoff streak and push it to 17 because man, it's going to be some really rough sledding if that team already misses. Yeah. The pain's coming, you just don't know when, right? The, it's inevitable. Uh, all the organizations that are good for a long time eventually have a, a little bit of a dip. Some have been able to, to to have it for a shorter period of time than others. But, you know, we, we talked a little bit last pod about the lack of draft picks and everything for the Penguins. So, you know, eventually that pain is going to catch catch up to you, no question. But uh, right now, Malkin, you know, he, he's still producing incredibly well. Sidney Crosby had a four-point night last night in Malkin's 1,000th game. And, you know, he seems to have... Uh, picked up his uh, his point production again. And so, 
you know, the Penguins, it's funny, Frank, like this, we talked about it on Friday, but you look at the amount of players and teams that are just having these weird swings of streaks of, you know, like look at Jamie Benn resurgent, Eric Carlson resurgence, Jason Robertson's on a huge streak, Mitch Marner, you know, Drysaddle, McDavid, you know, the Blues have been up and down. And it's it's been a crazy start really to the NHL season and even putting Crosby and the Penguins in that category. It's been a roller coaster for so many teams. And even for some teams where it's been insanely good, like the Devils having now reeled off 12 straight wins, I bet that number is going to climb even higher. They're like, everyone's waiting for them to fall back to earth. So when will it happen? How about this, Frank? During this 12 game winning streak, they've allowed 12 goals, five on five, one per game. Like last year, the best team in the league was 1.7. I like that. The Devils, and they're crushed. They're not just winning games. They're absolutely crushing teams. They've outscored them 33-12, 5-on-5. It's 54-22, right? The the shot totals have been grossly in their favor. Like they're 10 shots more per game. Like it's not just winning games. It's absolutely crushing the opposition. It's really impressive. They have more regulation wins than every team in the league has wins, period, except for the Bruins. Oh, yeah. Them and Boston are, you know, well, Vegas being good, but you're right. Vegas has some OT wins. and uh, Banana, and, uh, like, what a banana, like, just, it's amazing what they've been able to do. No, oh, it is. Uh, it's truly amazing. Um uh, we're going to get to our guest, and then uh, we'll have Tyler Remtrek uh, after our guest. We have a, a very special guest, a former NHLer, a current analyst, uh, wrote a book, and uh, it's it's very uh, heartfelt. Uh, talks about uh, dealing uh, with uh, you know alcoholism and, and overcoming it, and and grief of of the loss of a sister, and much more. I'm very much looking forward to having Chris Terry join us. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. 
That's right. Our next guest is an Ottawa native. He played at Providence College, was a Canadian Olympian, and he holds the Flyers' all-time record for games played among defensemen. He spent more than a decade as the team's analyst on radio and television, and he's now an author and works uh, and helps people recover from their own addictions. Uh, he wrote Road to Redemption, Chris Terrian's story, and the DFO Rundown is pleased to welcome Chris Terrian to the pod. Chris, how you doing? Doing great, guys. Great to be here with you early in this Monday morning, and uh, appreciate that intro, Frank. It's been a lot of years. Yeah. I know we, me and you had uh, crossed paths many moons ago, and uh, when you were doing, you just starting out kind of. So it's kind of cool how things come full circle, and I'm joining the podcast today. Awesome stuff. Yeah, no, really glad to talk to you. And and Chris, honestly, I've known you for a long time. We've actually never really dove into this. I, you know, even working alongside you for a long time, didn't have really any idea, you know, what was going on or what you were going through. And, um, you know, just wanted to dive in, like, tell us a, a bit of your story. Um, what really stood out to me reading your book, um, you had been through, obviously, some challenges, but, you know, the time that you really knew that, you needed help and that this was it once and for all, you, you know, you're packing your bag, you find a water bottle in your shoe and fill us in on what yeah. happened next. Yeah. I mean, that was, that was kind of like the end. And, you know, it's so funny because I think anybody that goes through an alcoholic journey and, and comes out the other side and has, uh, you know, faith again in the system and, and belief again in, in the things that matter. Those that, that ended up being kind of like the exclamation point, the water bottle, but it was probably hidden years before, you know, just something you throw in your closet. And it's funny because most alcoholics will tell you they hide their alcohol. I don't know why, but they do. And so that kind of like, as I said, was an exclamation point. But it, the, the most of the damage to me had been done uh, prior to that, like my last year, the lockout year in 2004 is when I started to notice everything started to go spiral downhill for me. And I had to come back and play another year, which I probably shouldn't have. Uh, but, you know, that's a competitiveness and you want to get back doing what you're doing. But uh, it was, you know, uh, you know, to say that I had a battle, battle of my life, it was no question the battle of my life. And uh, there's a lot of, you know, a lot of good. There's a lot of negativity that comes with addiction. But there's a lot of uh, what, what the book ended up being, and you touched in the title with uh, with redemption, is the fact that you can redeem yourself. You know, you can go through things and issues in life, and you can be a detriment to your own self and people around you. But if it's something else that's causing it, and mine was alcohol, uh, you have an opportunity to fix that. And so my message is about hope. Uh, there's legions and legions of people struggling with alcohol uh, and, and drug addiction. Now mental health has crept in since the pandemic. I mean, it's it, trauma. There's so many different levels and layers of it guys. Uh, but for me, you know, to have overcome it and then to have seen the, um, the successes my kids have had, you know, not having to deal with that type of things because they were younger when I stopped and they never had to deal in their early adolescence or any of their teen years with it. I've been stopped, I've stopped a long time. So for me, it's been nothing but rewards that I've reaped for my family, especially my kids, uh, and that decision for me, when I look back at it, was a no-brainer. Now what I do is I spend my days trying to help people get, whether it's getting a treatment, uh, uh, destigmatizing the disease of alcoholism and drug drug use is so important to continue that mission, but to let people know that there is hope, uh, life doesn't end, we do recover, and you can go on and have an absolutely meaningful and fulfilled life beyond your wildest dreams, and that's where I'm at right now. But to be able to do that for me where I'm at now and have the time uh, outside of hockey, which was really occupied a lot of it at one time, uh, this is now the, the path that, uh, you know, I believe God's put me on. And, uh, and I'm doing, uh, doing the kind of work because I, you know, that, that I have to do because I don't forget the pain that I was once in and I know how others are feeling as well. I wonder, Chris, um, 
when did you first realize there might be a problem? Like when did you go from just casual beers with the boys, you know, being part of a team in the NHL uh, and as a pro hockey player to then it being something more than that. And, and how do you think, do you think this impacted your game at all? Like what, what were some different things that you went through as you were playing to just try and hang on? You know, I tell people this, and I think most guys, like you can't, you know, when you have Bob Clark's your manager, you have to show up most nights to play uh, or you're not going to be around very long because he had a competitive stick. So as a, as a hockey player for, I would say better, more than a decade, I was a focused, determined hockey player. But in 2004, during the lockout, we had a, an optional skate, like with, I think one of the guys put it together uh, because we we're just trying to stay in shape in case the league rebooted again. And I remember coming out at like 1030 in the morning and I had the worst shakes like I'd, I'd ever had. So going through that, that physical uh, withdrawal, because I was, I remember, and I remember the, the night, actually the day, because it was the night before, I remember sitting with a few friends, we were outside uh, on a, on a uh, I believe it was an October night. Uh, and it was the, the game, the Yankees, I think had beaten Boston like 21 to two to take a three nothing lead in the series. And that where the epic collapse uh, had happened. So I remember that next day having to leave the ice. And I remember going home, and I was like 1130. I'm like, I don't know what's wrong, but I remember pouring a vodka and, and, and all those withdrawals went. And that's kind of think, I think that's what happens with person that's struggling with alcohol is you end up becoming the dog chasing its tail every single day. And it was that day, that morning in 2004 that I realized, man, I got a real problem here. And I just didn't know. And I didn't have the strength or the wherewithal to go and ask for help because no one, you don't really want to believe you yourself have a problem. But even to me, when I looked in the mirror, I, I pretty much knew right away. I just didn't have a way out of it. And that's very much part uh, of what I do now is to give, give people that hope, like to look for that way out. Because I remember I'm thinking like, God, I don't know what to do here. You know, I have a real problem and, and it's, it, it was hurting me as much as it was anybody else. And so that's the part that I, uh, that, that to me where I had a, a, a strong recognition, Frank, that that was the day that for me said, yeah, I have a problem. And uh, until I decide I'm going to make a change, it's going to continue. So Chris, then you, you know, that's when you found out you had a problem, but so you played, did you play a lot of your career where, where you were drinking fairly regularly? No, I, I would say that was really, I mean, I, I was a, I was a drinker. I was a partier. Um, I was, you know, the guy that like, you know, big Saturday would I'd go out, but it would happen one night and then we'd stop for a few days. Um, I think the culture of sport kind of brings it upon, you know, and when you're playing, you know, especially in hockey, but I didn't have a, a career that was, I was actually early in my career, very focused. I wasn't even much of a drinker when I came in. And I think as I progressed through the league, it, it picked up more, um, you know, whether it became the pressure, more maybe a relaxation period where you're, you know, you know, you're part of the league and, and you've been in there for a while, but I, I that was not, yeah, I had my moments, but it never, never to that point that I did my last year. That my last year was an absolute mess, and uh, it's something that probably is the most embarrassing part of my own hockey career. But that's the part that also, you know, that had to happen in in a journey to to recovery. So, uh, but no, early in my career, I was a partier. Probably someone said maybe he parties a little bit too hard. But when it comes when it came time to play in the games, you know, I was ready to go and I was prepared, and and that was what my focus was. So in that final year, when it, when it was the worst for you, did your teammates know, did you, do you feel that did other people know, or did you do a good job of concealing it? Both. I think the old, a couple of the older guys knew, I mean, we had a lot, we had a lot of older veteran guys at the time that had been through the ringer, um, you know, just in terms of their careers were kind of winding down. And I, we actually, I think the next year a ton of guys retired. Um, but yeah, the, the, my last year, um, you know, Keith Primo recognized it. Um, you know, 
I was always saying I never really blamed anybody for it. it to me, it was always my own, it was my own addiction. It was my own fault. But, um, and I've talked about this a little bit, especially at length, because it seems to be the questions that come out afterwards about the book is, you know, what could the team or league have done anything differently? And, you know, if a player doesn't want to do anything, he's going to hide it, right? Unless he gets into yeah. some legal trouble. And, uh, and and I think that's a part. Like, if you go to somebody and you admit a weakness, and I mean, when you're an alcohol, when you're, you're an alcohol and you're playing on a team and you're playing games, um, it's kind of a hard thing to go and share with somebody. And I think there, there's like, it doesn't matter how old you are or what, what it is. You're, you're a human being and you have feelings and, uh, and I think, and I honestly, God, I believe that the real reason people don't get help earlier is they just want to keep going on the path. They have a career, they're trying to play games and it's embarrassing, I think in themselves. And that's where I come back to the stigma of it is to, to be able to, to shake that, to shed that, that stigma and be able to go out and, and have the, the, um, the capacity to ask for help. If you're in a problem, tons of people have problems with, with uh, drugs and alcohol, but it's a matter of how they're going to resolve it and how they want to resolve that. And, and one more, Chris, um, you know, I've read lots about uh, about trauma, and trauma can can really impact people in different ways. You lost your sister um, in, in 2006. How much did that play a role, if any? Yeah, nothing. She, I, I was already a full blown alcoholic, you know, and, and and we, she was like, she was very much my best friend, and I would I would lean on her. Uh, we talked even in the year that she passed. She had a sudden cardiac death. I just something you can never really prepare for. Um, and, and we talked before, you know, how much he wanted me to, to clean up and get sober, especially with my kids and stuff. So, you know, from that standpoint, uh, but, but you know, it's funny. I mean, I, I, that whole story, I mean, you couldn't, you couldn't have made it up. I mean, to make someone's day even worse here, I was in the, the midst of my alcoholism. I'd called the NHL and then I get a call from people at home in Canada that something's happened to your sister. So I had to call the league back and say, hold on, I need to pause and because uh, something's happened at home with my with my sister, and then I, I she ended up passing away, and then two weeks later I was in rehab. Uh, that last, you know, I, I got sober and stayed sober for a couple of years, but I don't think a lot of that trauma. There was trauma afterwards that I don't think I was able to deal with right away, and that's how you have a relapse and you get back at it. And that relapse though was the part like it never got back to the levels I was before, um, and and it was in that final time, 2011, that I, you know, I think I finally forgave myself and I finally decided it was time to move on. Like enough's enough. I was 39 years old then. It's kind of my 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 little uh, my check mark because I, I can now look at people say I've never drank in my 40s. I've never drank in my 40s. Uh, so I consider myself pretty young still to have uh, to had quit or stopped drinking because some people don't do it till they're older. Some people do it younger. But uh, the best part the best part for me is I was able to do it and and. Uh, and I changed the lives uh, of my kids. And that, that really, to me, is what the difference is in, in, in the way I view my history. I, I, I guess I partied pretty early in life, and it, it stopped early. And, uh, but I was able to, you know, I was able to come out the other side. And that's, that's a sense of pride for me when I see my kids and the successes that they have because of that. It was actually a really pointed moment in the book, Chris. You had mentioned that, you know, you kind of you reached out to the NHL and the PA for help. And then this incident happened with your sister and she ends up passing. And you said that the, the doctor from the PA, I think it was Dr. Brian Shaw said, Hey, don't stop drinking right now. Yeah. And you said that yeah. that was something like telling someone who has a Ferrari that there's no speed limit. What was yeah, that like? It, it, I, you know, I almost, I almost mentioned that right before Frank that you're talking about, I just didn't want to drag Dr. Shaw, you know, it, it, well, again, that, that's, that's the hard reminder uh, that he said, listen, you're going to go into a fire pit that I'd never been in before. And he knew it. And I hadn't like your, here I was, my sister had was probably, you know, in a, um, she was in a coma from the cardiac event. She was probably not going to make it. And I had to go back and deal with that 
with my parents. She was my only sibling. And, uh, and he said to me, like, don't go home and be a hero in front of people. You, you have to drink to survive. And, uh, he said, don't worry about what anyone thinks, you know, don't try not to walk around slosh, but, but mate, I was at a maintenance at that point. And then to go through that two week ordeal was, uh, it's like going to hell and back and then back to hell again. Uh, it was just, it was just awful. And, 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 and without question, the worst, uh, 30 days of my life. And, uh, you know, I, I sometimes wonder how I got through it to be quite honest with you. It was, it was rough. But I think that's an important reminder that a doctor actually tells you to continue because it's a reminder to me that it's a disease. Yes. It's, yeah. it's actually a toxic dependence that I, you know, people there it's stigmatized because people don't think of it that it is a disease. That's, that's exactly correct. And, and you're, you're Frank, you, you said the words right there. It's a hundred percent. It is, there's, there's an illness that comes with it. Is, um, and, and, and when you say that, and it's a fatal disease, it's no different than anything else. So we celebrate and, and rightfully so celebrate people that recover from other ailments, cancer and other things that happen. And those are different type of things. This is for me, when I look at the, the disease of alcoholism and, and drug use, you have a choice, right? Like you have an opportunity to do it. People that are battling cancer don't necessarily have that option. They have to go in for chemo and radiation. But this is a fatal terminal disease also if it's not if it's not addressed and not dealt with. And the only way for me that I could see a path forward was from abstinence. That's it. It's a one-day-at-a-time process, and that's what people have to get to. And, yes, when, when, when I look back at that, I never realized at the time when, when Dr. Shaw had said that. He goes, I remember he said in that voice, just keep drinking. Don't stop. And I'm like, wow. I'm like, that's unbelievable to hear that. But I, I, my years later looked like he's thinking to himself, this guy could literally have a seizure and die if he stops drinking. That's how serious it was. You know, when you look back on that, Chris, it – and I think for a lot of people listening uh, right now, there are lots of people that have, that have dealt with alcoholism, dealing with alcoholism. And you talked about, um, you know, forgiving yourself uh, in 2011, finally, because, you know, you'd, you'd, you know, for not a better term, fallen off the wagon, you'd, you know, you'd had relapses a, a few times. How much of it is like when you, and I don't know if it's too personal or not, but when you look internally as to, you know, why, why you turned to, you know, to be independent on alcohol. What was it that you felt like at that time that were, were you worried about, you know, life after hockey? What led you down that path when you weren't for your whole career, an alcoholic, and then kind of suddenly became one? Yeah. I, I mean, there's no question that I phased into that. There's, I mean, there's no doubt you don't just become one overnight. So there was a, there was a course of drinking that transpired. You know, I, I think, I think anybody, when you go and you examine the life of a pro athlete, a pro athlete that's played a long time in certain cities and scenarios. I think that there's a competition level to them. Uh, I think my journey towards this probably became, and I, and I've talked about it, you know, when I, and even the book, I said, I don't know what price I paid to have gotten as far as I'd gotten, but you know, I'd gone through things as a kid that had been cut from teams. Uh, and my determination, my focus was to get to the NHL to stick it up everybody's rear end. And that was what, that was my driving force. And I often wonder, you know, at the end of the day, to get there, to stay there, to put the work in, uh, game after game, physical, mental pain and anguish sometimes that comes with it. Um, you know, what, what, what was the cost of that, you know? And so maybe it was, it quite possibly could have been, uh, you know, how, how my end days ended up in the NHL. But, you know, it wasn't a long time. Uh, it was it was for me. It felt like an eternity. But in terms of my hockey playing days, it was not. It didn't integrate 
until the very end after that lockout year where I think there was a lot of league issues that went on, to be quite honest with you. But, um, you know, I, my, my story really began, I think, for me at the end of it is in a new turn was fe- that February 7th, 2011 is when new life began. And I was able to get off, you know, get on the tracks again. So, uh, but there's, there's a lot of things. I think a lot of people deal with a lot of different things in life and, uh, uh, you know, how those uh, forecasts and how they play out over time. I'm not really sure about that, but I do believe that there's absolutely a connection between the two to some degree. You mentioned your sister before she passed. You and her had, had conversations about how, you know, you wanted to get clean and sober for your family and, and ultimately for yourself. And, uh, you know, she was gone for five years when you finally have been sober since 2011. Usually, you know, you have to do a lot of the work yourself, but you need somebody. They're pushing you, you know, challenging you, supporting you. Who are those people that, because that, I don't know, I don't think anybody can beat it by themselves. You, you do need, you know, a good support system. Who, who is that for you? You know what, my, my, I mean, when I went back into uh, to the rooms of AA, which to me, and I tell people this all the time, if you're struggling, get a sponsor, go to Alcoholics Anonymous because it will save your life. And you're going to find out that the people that are in there are all like you anyway, all people that drank and are trying to get stay sober, get sober. Um, I, I have a, a great friend, my sponsor, Rick. He's, uh, he's a few years younger than me, but we've really bonded. Uh, the Flyers, uh, you know, as I go back to certain alumni tournaments, they're, there's a few guys there that are also, you know, don't drink anymore. So I've been able to, to lean on them and, and some of them have open stories. Some of them don't. Um, but there's been, there's been a lot of really good things. And then I look at my kids too, at the end of the day. And, and you know, my kids were the, you know, I always tell the story about the, uh, the, the, the movie Hoosiers where the Dennis Hopper character walks into the gymnasium completely loaded and embarrassing his son. He yells at the ref and, you know, Frank knows this, but my daughter's all, you know, two of them still play division one basketball. All three went to the same school, not by design to Loyola, Maryland. And, and one of them's uh, is, uh, is out of school now, but two still play. But I promised myself, you know, as they were younger, that that would never be me. That would never be. And I, and I can't tell you how easily that that could have been me. Uh, that that's the kind of thing that could have happened to someone like me. And I, and I promised myself that I would never do that to those kids. And, uh, and that's part of it for me when I, when I was able to see the benefits that uh, they were able to shine because they didn't have to deal with an, an alcoholic parent in the house. And I've read stories and I knew what that did and I knew what it was going to do. So they were, they were my greatest inspiration. They still are to this day. I've had many, many people uh, that, that have jumped in and, uh, and have, that I've been able to rely on. Uh, but ultimately at the end of the day, it's a, it's a, it's a program that you have to overcome daily. Um, but you, it, to me, it's, it goes back to that team thing that you mentioned as well. Uh, yeah, you need a team. You need a small village sometimes to be able just to, to lean on somebody. Uh, you can't hold this problem in yourself and, 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 and hide it uh, because it will eat you from the inside out if you try to do it. I tried to do that. It, you can't do it. it just it, It's what alcohol does. It sucks the life out of you. And uh, until you remove it, you're not going to get that life back. Chris, you wrote this book with our, our good friend, Wayne Fish, longtime yeah. Flyers beat writer. I was wondering if you if you felt like in telling this story publicly for everyone to read, was it cathartic for you at all? Um, Did it help you? Yeah, it was also, yeah, no, I know what you meant. I, I, I just, I felt like it was painful also, Frank. You know, there's times I was putting the story out and I went back and it was, it was like opening a, a wound in a lot of ways, you know, and I went back and I had to take that deep dive back into, um, you know, my adolescence, getting cut from teams, you know, dealing with, uh, 
the, the hockey part of life, the bullying part of life, you know, then the, then the, the, the a lot of the joys, you know, going to Providence, uh, my, my takeoff at Northwood, um, you know, how, how things came together, getting an Olympic silver medal and then making the NHL. So a lot of highs and lows uh, in life, but there's, there's certainly, I think there's, there's, I'm not going to lie. There's times that I was doing this alone or voicing it in my, my recorder, uh, and I got personally emotional, just alone sometimes, you know, thinking about people uh, uh, that had, you know, traveled past with over the years or a teammate that was inspirational to me or meant something to me. Um, you know, Luke Richardson's story, you know, with his daughter, just kind of going back and what that episode had, had done. Like, it just, there's so many little things, you know, like the travel, uh, you know, travesties uh, uh, and tragedies that have happened. And, uh, and, and, and also the joys, you know, there's times where I was able to kind of like, you know, lift myself up in, in writing this as well, but no question, Frank, uh, there, there was a, a re-examination and a self-examination of me, uh, and I, and I have to do that every single day, but I, I know I'm trying to do the right things. I'm not perfect. Uh, you know, just because you stop drinking doesn't necessarily make you perfect. But for me, it, um, it's, it's certainly, I'm on the right path doing the things that I want to do. And, and I'm able to remind myself every single day of how I once felt what that pain was like, and then be able to transcend that to somebody else. And hopefully they, they're able to figure it out like I was. So that that's exactly why I wanted to have you on one um, Thanksgiving this week in the U S and, and you and a lot of other people have, we all have a lot to be thankful for. Uh, but two, the holidays can also be a really lonely time for people. And a lot of this can be a really difficult time uh, coming up for anyone that might be struggling. You mentioned Alcoholics Anonymous, but you do a lot of work in the recovery community. Now, what's the first step for someone to get help? Well, I think the first step is to is, is complete honesty. Uh, you know, first of all, what 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 do you have? I mean, people start to talk to you about it, and then you have to be honest. I mean, do you want to get help? I talk to people almost every single day struggling with addiction, whether or not they want to go to rehab. When I first got in this, and my and my my career path changed from hockey to uh, to you know addiction help and and recovery help, especially. Um, I got involved in the aftercare. Uh, and this is one of the things too, Frank, that I, I, I've been telling, you know, I've looked out and said in podcasts to Gary Bettman it, it, and, and Bill Daly, the NHL in general, the, the programs they have to get people away for 30 days is amazing. What they do and I'm not a great job of is taking care of the players, whether it's alumni or the player getting out for aftercare. And that was the part that I struggled with the most. I'm, when I went away, I went to Karen Recovery Center in Wernersville, Pennsylvania. It's one of the best treatment facilities in the world. They treated me to perfection for 30 days. But when I got out of there, I was on my own. So unless you're determined you're going to get yourself to AA, you're going to go meet all these new people, they need to do a far better job with aftercare to get these people in the proper IOPs, which is intensive outpatient, so that they can continue that 30 days when they're back on the street passing the same liquor store they used to buy liquor from, the same drug dealer maybe that they used to pass on the street corner. And that's a harsh reality of addiction. So that's um, those are the biggest things uh, for me that I need to, to make sure my message gets out. I got involved in the aftercare market uh, because that's where people need the most help, I think. Uh, I do still represent Karen Treatment Facility where I went first time and got sober. So I'm trying to get people placed. I do tell people all the time, Frank, if you do need it, you can uh, you need to get a hold of me and get a hold of me on any of my social media platforms. And I do have an email if I, we could post it after. It's called it's uh, it's called Bundy Recovery at christerian.com. 
You can email me there 24-7, BundyRecovery at ChrisTarian.com. Myself or somebody will get a hold of you and we'll spend some a few minutes with you trying to diagnose where you're at and what your step, what the next steps are for you. Um, I implore people, get help if you need it. Uh, if you need to take that 30 days to get away from whatever it is, do that also. But please don't discount the treatment that's needed when you get out of rehab. It's that important. It's more important, as a matter of fact, than the actual 30 day because your life depends on it every day. And get you know, and and sometimes driving uh, from your home to a Wawa uh, can be a be- <laughs> a regular task uh, without having to pass those liquor stores on the way. So that's why I'm telling people, you know, just be honest with yourself about where you're at and can work at it one day at a time. Will keep you sober for a long time if you can if you can simplify it in those steps. Chris, that's a really strong message. Um, we always like to end with a rapid fire where the uh, the only rule is you have to answer the question. All right. <laughs> or you won't have a, an issue with. What, what was your first impression of a young Frank Saravalli? You know what? I, 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 I'm going to tell it. I mean, Frank was great when he was 23. I think he told me that. So I, I said, man, this guy is pretty distinguished uh, writer and, uh, you know, carrying the message of hockey. Frank was a great guy. We had, uh, we'd known people in the city together when, uh, you know, I was a little older than Frank. He was a little younger and we kind of, you know, crossed the generations between the two. And um, I always thought he was a pretty stand up guy and somebody that, you know what, when I came out of hockey, we got along really well, right out, right out of the gate. You have really immersed yourself in wanting to help others. There's lots of uh, recovering alcoholics or who, you know what, uh, they just, they have time and, and they really only focus on themselves. Why are you so passionate to want to make sure that others get the help that you got? Yeah, great question. Because I felt, I forget, or I've not forgotten the pain that I was in when I was struggling. And I know that the same people are out there because I talk to them all the time. And, uh, and I want them to know that, uh, you know, life doesn't end you can recover and you can go on and live a perfect, perfectly normal life. And that's the message of hope that I'm trying to spread. When you played Chris, so what was, what's your most memorable goal? Memorable goal has to probably be, um, oh boy, uh, probably the first one. I, I would say the first one's always the best one. I remember actually, you know what? I'm going to kind of throw my old broadcast partner under the bus, Keith Jones. He, a puck got stripped of the blue line and I jumped on it in Washington one night and Jonesy literally jumped on my back and I carried him down the ice and I went top under the bar against Jim Carrey and Jonesy got traded from Washington to Colorado the next day. (laughs) So, so I never have a problem reminding him of that. (laughs) <laughs> well, it worked out for him. I think he won a cup there in uh, in Colorado, so he was probably he did not. But anyway, he should. no, he did. Yeah, he got he got traded again. I think for Sean Podine. Oh, that's right. After that. right. Yeah, I'm not mistaken. <laughs> Who was the funniest teammate you had? Oh, boy, it's a good one. Um, you had some good ones. Lot, I've had a lot of really good teammates. I was probably up there myself. I would say some guys might have might have answered that. Um, you know, I, I think the tandem like Luke Richardson was not the funniest guy, but he was a great provider of, of material. Me and Johnny Leclerc, uh, you know, he could have made a movie of the two of us, probably roommates for ten years. Um, funny teammates. I, I play with a lot. Craig Berube was a great great teammate. I mention him often. He wrote the foreword in the book. You know, I mean, if you talk about Barubi and, and how lighthearted he was, I remember we had a Halloween game one year, and he had the, uh, you know, like the, the the mustache with the glasses on in the penalty box that, that Lou Nolan, the PA announcer, and Philly had it. Chief sat there the whole two minutes with it on the penalty box. It was like a like a 1-1 game in the second. How do you not laugh at that, right? 
I'll loosen the bench up. Toughest guy you fought. <laughs> I mean, I didn't have a lot of them, but probably, I, mean, I guess, Jeff Rogers. I had a couple guys that had, like, pretty significant fights. Jeff Rogers would have been the toughest one. Chris King. Rogers uh, is one of those farm tough guys, but... Man, I saw some of the greatest fights in the history of hockey when I was here in Philadelphia and, and the reaction from the Philadelphia spe- fans, especially in the spectrum. Uh, my first year was just unbelievable having guys like Dave Brown around and you kind of it kind of got the feeling from what the Broad Street bullies and, and what this city embraced. Dave Brown might have been one of the most feared guys. I still remember him. And, and, and he was just kind of very calm, looked like a doctor. I remember the first time I met yeah. Dave. He had his glasses on, you know, he just looked like, glasses, like yeah. doctor. Like it was, and then he would go on the ice and he would become an absolute assassin. Like, yeah, he, you he, picture, he, like Craig Berube yeah. was tough, but also oh, like which one of your teammates flipping of the switch surprised you the most? Probably, probably, um, you know what? Robbie DeMaio. You remember Rob DeMaio? Yes. Yeah. He was one of, we came, there's a great story. We're coming back from Long Island one night. And we didn't have any movies. This is the old VHS, like the early days. You put the movie in and, you know, everyone in the bus is like watching whatever they put in. So we have no movie one night. So we came back from like, you know, in Uniondale, Frank would probably be able to tell you this too. There's always like a bunch of people in the parking lot that would give you like hockey cards or those mini sticks. They want to. Yeah. I, I call them the, the Long Island mutants. Because yeah, they're so, all friggin' weirdos. They're, they're all over the place. So I guess somebody gave Robbie DeMaio like a fight tape of him and Junior and the NHL. And so we're coming back and and someone says, hey, guys, we don't have any movie to watch. And someone says, yeah, Robbie DeMaio's got his fight tape. <laughs> so we put in his fight tape. This thing was like an hour and a half. And he was knocking guys out and just crushing them like big time fighters. And he was sitting there kind of like smiling and laughing. I'm thinking to myself, man, this would be the wrong guy. You got in a fight with Robbie DeMaio on the ice and you expect to just grab this little guy? Forget about it. So, and, and it's funny, I ended up playing with him in Philly and in Dallas uh, as well. So uh, he was my roommate in Dallas for a little while. But yeah, he was one of those sneaky, tough guys. Mark Recchi was like that also. You know, fused, fused that long, but man, when it went off, get out of the way. Mark Recchi? Oh, Mark Recchi. Was, Mark DeMaio was tough. So, smaller guy who was really tough. Both guys, small fire plugs, yep. This many years later, Chris, what do you miss most about being an NHL player? Well, the, the, the guys, right? Like the locker room, being part of the yeah, – that's the hard – yeah, I think sometimes, too, you talk about, like, you know, going through emotional changes in life. That was the hardest single part of, of, of not being part of the, you know, of the, of the NHL. Like, I love that more than anything, being around the guys, you know, being a good locker room presence, uh, you know, going out and playing the game of hockey in the best men's league in the world. But that's the hard part, too, guys, when you come out of that – you know, you're alone. Like you're, you have got 22 friends built in. You're the 23rd. And when you're done, you're done. You know, you're no longer going in there at nine o'clock in the morning, hanging out with them. So yeah, you know, being able to play, uh, being part of that locker room and being around your best buddies every single day, you have to change that thought process and still keep those relationships that you had, but it's not the same as it once was. And lastly, Chris, for you, what was the most important step on your road to recovery? Honesty being just totally honest with myself and, 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 and can, can t- t- uh, continue doing it now, like coming on here and just, you know, I have to 
strip myself naked regularly with my emotions and my honesty to be able to help others and to help myself every single day. So, uh, yeah, rigorous. It's a, it's like people say it's a program of rigorous honesty. And, um, and, and to me, I, I can't really do what I do unless I'm completely honest and humbled by what this addiction did to me, but also how I recovered from it. Well, Chris, congratulations on uh, um, you know, over a decade of, of sobriety and more importantly, congratulations on your willingness to want to help others. Uh, that's making a significant, significant difference. And so thanks for joining us on The Rundown. Thank you yeah. so much, guys, and have a happy Thanksgiving, Frank, the American one, and uh, I appreciate you guys having me on. Yeah, Chris, thanks a lot. Congratulations on the book as well, and haven't told you this, but I'm proud of you. Thank you. Thank you, brother. Proud of you too. Thank you, guys. Have a great week. Chris Terrian, man. What a great guest, uh, great sense of humor. I love his honesty and, and really his passion, Frank, to, to share his story and want to help others. In any walk of life, he is one of the funniest bastards I've ever come across. He's always got something he's laughing about. He's always got something to point out. Um, I really, really enjoyed spending a lot of time around Chris uh, when I was covering the Flyers to start my career. And he was just a great person to always Anywhere you were at, shoot the shit with. And he's been through a lot in his career. He, you know, he lost almost a hundred pounds, eighty pounds at one point. Like he looks great. Um, super proud of him and and the work that he's put in to to just. That's exactly it. Do the work. It's not yeah. easy to do the work. You can talk about it. You can want to do it, but to actually knuckle down and do it. Um, I said on the show, I'm really proud of him, and I am. And uh, for, for any of our listeners that, that are struggling with addiction right now, be sure to reach out, help, and remember, you're worth it. You are worth it. Your family thinks you're worth it, so get the help that you need. Uh, let's uh, let's bring in uh, Tyler Remchuk before we uh, wrap it up for another uh, rip-roaring edition of Buy or Sell. Ty, how you doing? I'm doing good. And by the way, that email he gave, I'm putting that in uh, the description on all the podcast platforms as well. So if people want to just uh, copy and paste that or get access to it, it'll be at the bottom of the uh, episode description. But yes, a great interview with Chris, guys. Uh, let's talk a little hockey, though, and fill in the blank, as always, delivered by our friends at DoorDash, where you can use the promo code GAMEDAY25 to get your 25% off and no delivery fees on your first order of $15 or more with DoorDash. Let's start with the news that Shane Wright is going down to the American League. Shane Wright going to the AHL is blank. Frank? Um, it is delaying the inevitable. That's which, what I'll say. Because I wanted to here? say asinine or stupid, but that's not fair because I'm not there every day. But... I think, and I've voiced this opinion before, we are not dealing with a player who absolutely tore up the OHL previously and left it in shreds. Shane Wright was not that, because if he was that, he probably would have went number one overall last year. He didn't. I think there's more for him to prove. And I just think this cycle of, if he gets in the game for the Kraken, he's playing six minutes, and if he's not, he's a healthy scratch. I'm sorry. This development in the NHL... First off, it's not a developmental league. Second, it doesn't happen by osmosis. You don't just get to see it and be around it and then all of a sudden become it. That's not how it works. You actually need to play. And playing in Coachella Valley with the Firebirds, it, the AHL is really where he should be, but that's not what's allowed, so he really should be in the OHL. 
And he will be there. To me, I thought this was, you know, I was going to say delay and the inevitable, but to me, so I'll say predictable. He's going to go down there. He's going to get some games in and they'll call him back up and they're just going to wait. And then he'll get sent to world juniors for Canada, just like Alex Petrangelo did in back-to-back years. And then he'll end up going back to the Ontario hockey league. Interesting. Uh, you guys were talking about the Pittsburgh Penguins a little bit earlier on in this episode. They're kind of starting to piece it together a little bit. They've won a few games in a row. The Penguins have a blank percent chance of making the playoffs. Jason? Well, what are they right now? Fifth, I think, in their uh, division, something like that. Yeah, um, if you look at the wild card standings, they'd be a point back of the New York Rangers for the final playoff spot. Okay. Um, you know, like the Devils and the Islanders, obviously, and the Islanders are only a point ahead of them. I, I still get Pittsburgh. You know, you got Crosby, you got Malkin, you got Latang out. I picked them at the start of the year, so I'll still, you know what? I'm going to say they got a 75% chance. Frank? I was going to say 80. I think they have a really strong chance to get it. Yeah, I was just curious because I think a lot of people had them kind of penciled in as one of the locks heading into the year or close to it. Um, I was interested to see how far they uh, maybe would have fallen off, in your opinion, due to that losing streak. But I agree. I think they're they're pretty close to a lock if they're still not there. Uh, it is American- Money Puck has them, just FYI, at 88. Oh, there you go. Uh, it is American Thanksgiving coming up later on this week, so I will ask you the generic question of the best Thanksgiving side is blank, Frank. Stuffing. Yeah, that would probably be my pick too. Jay? Oh, Jay doesn't low. <laughs> oh, gross. Yeah, st- I am not a stuffing guy. I'll never eat it. But uh, mashed potatoes and gravy. Here's my hot take on Thanksgiving. I, it's By the way, it's like, it's my favorite holiday. I go Thanksgiving and then Halloween. Um, least favorite is New Year's. Um, not that you asked. But if Thanksgiving dinner was so good, we would eat it more than once a year. Well, I mean, you could, but we don't. Well, because everyone raves it. about how awesome it is, but we don't eat it ever again. Well, it, it, it's the prep work, I think. No one yeah. wants to prep that many hours every time for a big meal. But we we have like even at our when house, you go to have, do you go to somewhere for dinner and it's like Thanksgiving dinner is on the menu, like you can order it as your entree. People don't get it. Yeah, that's probably true. Turkey, I love turkey though, but I wouldn't eat it all the time. It makes you sleepy. But I eat turkey a few other times a year for sure. I'll eat mashed potatoes all the time. I love mashed potatoes. Oh, so yeah. Good. Yeah, mashed potatoes yeah. are the best. All right, we'll wrap this thing up with our Points Bet Canada bonus question. Our friends at Points Bet Canada have a ton of great bonuses, especially if you want to wager on the World Cup, which I'm actually getting pretty fired up about. I'm, I'm excited to watch Canada over the next couple of weeks at the World Cup. Bob, your question today is centered around the Hart Trophy. Connor McDavid with another brilliant goal on Saturday, winning the game in overtime for the Oilers. I think... Would we all agree he's the runaway favorite for the Hart Trophy right now? Not even close. Yeah, so that's yeah. what PointsBet has as well. They have him at even money winning the Hart Trophy. If you had to pick who would be second on the list, who's the runner-up right now in your opinion for the Hart Trophy, Frank? Ooh, that's actually really hard. Um, I would say it is Jason Robertson. Wow, that's a good one. Okay. Yeah, well, if, if you're going just on value to his team, it'd have to be Eric Carlson. He's, um, but they're not making the playoffs, so that's out. Yeah, well, I agree. But, well, we don't know that for sure, but I agree they probably Yes, are. we do. Robertson but, um, has uh, better points per game, though. Yeah, but he's a we four. know for sure that the San Jose Sharks are not making the playoffs. Yeah. Hey, that is a stone-cold mortal lock. 
Yeah. No, hey, um, Carlson, I, I guess then I would go with, uh, I'll go with Miko Rantanen. I know McKinnon has, uh, are they tied in points or are the same, but man, I watched Miko Rantanen, man, that guy's dominant, but I don't think he'd ever get more votes than, than McKinnon, but I think he's had actually a better start to the season. Here's another question for you. Will Nathan McKinnon ever win a Hart Trophy? He's finished runner-up twice. The problem is he's always got McDavid or Dreisaitl or someone in the way. Yeah. It'll be challenging, I think, for sure. Um, but never say never. Guys can get on, on a hot streak and um, go. But, like, yeah, the, what McDavid's doing this year is uh, is going to be – like, he would have to really slow down for him not to win. Yeah, so so – I, I wonder about McKinnon, and the reason I brought that up is because it seems like his teammate, Kel McCarr, has a lock on the Norris for a long time, right? Yeah. And remember that time when, like, certain hockey writers deemed that it was just his time for Drew Doughty to win a Norris? Like, does that come through at some point for the heart where someone just goes, you know, Nathan McKinnon's really good. This is just his year. We're going to determine that he should win it, even though, like, the clear winner was probably someone else. I'd be surprised because, you know, votes are public now. I think when they were private, that might have happened. But now that it's public, you have to def- you have to at least defend your reasoning. And I don't think as a voter I could say, well, I thought this guy deserved it. And, you know, he's, he's overdue. Because to me, I never base – I never vote on reputation. I vote solely on that season. I don't care about the previous year. It's irrelevant to me. The award itself is based on that year. So I think it would be challenging. Interesting. I, I just remember that a certain sports writer deemed around this time of year, the year Drew Doughty won, they were like, this is Doughty's year. And since then, it became a self-fulfilling prophecy, and I thought that it was a crock of shit. Uh, you con- don't just win a Norris trophy because it's your turn. Yeah, it's true. It's not how sports works. They don't just hand out a Stanley Cup because, ah, this team's been buzzing for a few years. They, they're going to get this one. Uh, Connor McDavid, the leader at plus 100, even money. Uh, Austin Matthews is in second at plus 700. So, you know, yeah, Leafs player heavily bet on. That kind of makes sense from the book's perspective. Dreisaitl, McKinnon, Kaprizov round out the top five for Hart Trophy odds over at Point What's Robertson's? Robertson is down at 25 to 1, tied with Nikita Kucherov just inside the top 10. They're tied for nine. Oh, those, if, if you're looking for a wager, that would be the one to do. Yeah, I'm, I'm not allowed to wager on the Hart because I vote on it, as you do you. So, um, that's a no, no, but that would be a good bet. I'm more interested in have, since we talked about Austin Matthews to start, what are the rocket Richard? Numbers? Connor McDavid is the leader at plus two fifty. Austin Matthews is second at plus 300. Leon Dreisaitl, Kirill Kaprizov at 12 to one. Pasternak 14 to one. I'm intrigued by that one. That's the one I, yeah. If you were going on a guy, you go with Pasternak. He's got the fourth most goals. He's right up there with Matthews. McDavid and Drysaddle the last few years. If, if you're going for odds, then yeah, that would definitely be the guy to look at. But it's it's interesting that it shifted though because Matthews opened as the very clear favorite at plus two fifty, and the next closest person I think was McDavid at plus five hundred. Yeah, he was plus four fifty, plus five hundred, depending where you looked. But before we go, guys, I just want to mention my my guy, Tage Thompson, killer again. My guy. Hey, I said it. You guys were all mocking me at the start. I was loving that contract. And, right. uh, Tage Thompson's living. I might actually buy his Sabres jersey just for Tage Thompson. Hang it up in the background for every episode of the DFO run. Get a, uh, a like the the Buffalo head one. 
I will. Retro. I actually don't mind the head one. Yeah. I, have to get I actually on. like the black and red one. That's a, that's a nice little throwback. Yeah. Tyler, are you, since you're a Bills fan, do you have any affinity for the Sabres or no? No, not really. Um, it's just, you know, you had to pick up or had to find a football team I like since there isn't an NFL team here. Obviously, growing up an Oilers fan. Um, but I think, I think I could, I like, I get behind the Sabres. I could, you know, if they were in a playoff series, I think I'd be pulling for them a little bit because, you know, the, the fans in Buffalo are unbelievable. And it's I still can't believe it. that Rhett Warner bet me that the, the Bills would play in Buffalo this weekend. That was, I've had a lot of easy bets in my life. That one was by far the easiest. It was like taking candy from a baby. That was unbelievable. I don't know why he, was so he asked confident. he asked for my address over the weekend. 77 inches of snow. He asked, he's like, I gotta, I gotta pay up. Well, I like this positivity. He was really hoping to go to the game, but uh never let emotions get in the way of a wager. That's I've learned that the hard way many times. I uh, I want a nice bottle of whiskey off our boss Jay Downton, who is a uh, Cleveland Browns fan. So my bills came through for me in a few ways uh, this weekend. So I'm, I'm well. Gonna... He said he's going to send me some Josh's flakes or whatever the Josh Allen cereal is in Buffalo. Ah, yeah, yeah. So maybe I should just redirect the package to you because mm. you would actually appreciate that. I would not. I probably would. All I right. Could play uh, on Flutie flakes. Huh. Yes. Similar. Yeah. All right. All right, that's a wrap on this week's edition of Fill in the Blank, delivered by DoorDash. Awesome. Great pod, Frank. Have yourself an awesome week. We will uh, talk to you on Friday. We'll see. Will the Devils tie their franchise record 13-game winning streak tonight against the Edmonton Orders? Will Frank be working on Black Friday? That is the bigger question. I I think we're going to need to talk about this. We might be taking a little hiatus on Friday. Oh, hey, that's all right. Thanks for listening to the DFO Rundown with Saravali and Gregor. Keep it locked on dailyfaceoff.com and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from to never miss an episode. Delivered by DoorDash. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special coming your way this playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge. And let me tell you, it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal. Every playoff game day, you're going to be faced with four questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle. And here's a sneak peek into some of those questions we'll be firing your way. First up, you got to pick the winning team. That sounds simple, right? But there's more. You got to decide if the total amount of goals in the game will be over or under a certain amount. And that's where the real strategy starts to kick in. Next up, you're picking who's going to find the back of the net first. And you're going to want to be careful because that's one that could be cooked early on in the game. And finally, you got to predict which period is going to be the highest scoring. Will it be a barn burner in the first, a shootout in the second, or a nail biter in the third? That's up to you to decide. Now let's talk about prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? For the daily winners, 
you're getting hooked up with gift cards to treat yourself to some fresh nation gear, and you might even win a jersey from your favorite team. And for the big dogs, those who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge. Play now at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess.